Okay, so Proverbs chapter 3, our first section in chapter 3 is going to be verses 1 through 10, uh, which our book has called the Rewards of Wisdom. Reading through the Proverbs is kind of like drinking from a fire hose. It's lots and lots of little gems of wisdom, um, and sometimes it's kind of hard to break them all apart and focus on one little thing, but some of these verses are verses we hear all the time, verses that are really familiar to us, especially verses 5 through 8. Uh, those are uh, very commonly memorized, and they're good verses that we can have memorized, written on the tablets of our heart, and uh, focus on so that as we uh, grow in grace with the Lord, um, we, can, we can live for Him. So what does that mean? What is Solomon teaching us about living? Um, in the wisdom of God. So he breaks it down into, uh, or the book rather, breaks it down into five different uh, exhortations. So the first one is, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will add to you. So he's got a commandment and then a promise together with it. Or a, a natural uh, what naturally comes from keeping that commandment. Yeah, and it's essentially be teachable. Uh, we're going to come back to that when we get to uh, lean not on your own understanding, but we want to be teachable. We want to have our hearts malleable and uh, ready to take in the teaching of God's Word. And sometimes that comes by a human teacher. Sometimes that comes just through reading the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. No matter what, it's going to be the Holy Spirit working on our hearts to uh, put that wisdom deep into our hearts. And we want to obey that then. We don't want to just take in God's word and have it just head knowledge. We want it to actually produce those kind of good works um, in our life. And so that's going to result in length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. So there's a physical promise here and a spiritual promise. Now this is the uh, the standard. It's not without its um, it's not without exception. Just because you have kept his teaching, you can't be guaranteed a hundred years of health. Uh, but it is a general principle that God teaches that one who lives with wisdom is is going to live a long life. So that is the uh, standard, not without exceptions. But I think more importantly, and he focuses on this in most of the promises, is the spiritual condition. You're going to have peace added to you. And I think this is really where that length of days comes from. Uh, stress does a lot. It takes a big toll on the human body. Disobedience and sin takes a huge toll on the human body. Um, and so our obedience, our living together with the Lord, brings us that kind of peace that we can live healthy Christian lives. So Solomon's second exhortation is about kindness and truth. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So what does it mean to... <laughs> Write it on the tablet of your heart. What does memorizing it do for you? 
yeah, it's having to pull it apart and internalizing it. You're not just memorizing some words, but you've got to really understand what it means in order to remember it. So we're not writing it on the uh, slate of our minds, we're writing it on the tablet of our hearts. And that kind of reminded our, uh, our uh, whoever wrote this book of the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Now it was a common Jewish practice to take little um, sayings from God's word, um, especially certain blessings, and to write them on phylacteries, little pieces of paper, and bind them to their foreheads. God's saying to uh, write this on our hearts. Okay. So in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, Prophet Jeremiah records the words of God. This is the covenant which I will make with you, the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within you, within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's what they're awaiting in the new covenant in the messianic kingdom, where the words of God will be written on their heart so that they won't need a human teacher. We still need human teachers, or at least we are benefited by them. Um, but ultimately, our teacher is the word of God and the Holy Spirit. He also says then, this uh, kindness and truth, um, and writing this on the tablets of our heart, we will grow in favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So a good example was just had here that, uh, that Kay grew in favor with Woody because she was obedient to this commandment to write God's word on the tablet of her heart. So we grow in favor not just with God, but with man as well. You guys just spent a couple of months looking at the books of James and the letters of John. Uh, so James chapter 2, could someone look this up? James chapter 2, uh, verses 22 through 26. Very good. So these, or this faith working together with works helps to justify before man and before God. And this isn't salvation justification, but this is sanctification justification uh, so that we are able to uh, have living, active uh, faith exercise. And so we grow in favor with God. We are sanctified with him, and we are also growing in favor with man as well, and this is our fellowship together. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, or verse 52. Uh, this was uh, Luke recording the youth of Jesus Christ as he was growing, and he was learning God's word as well. Uh, he learned it from a different teacher than we do. He learned it directly from the mouth of God as he would wake up his servant each morning and teach him. But Jesus, as he learned God's word from God, um, it says that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is proper spiritual maturation. Okay, verses 5 to 6, these uh, very well-known verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. 
Now the quarterly had a pretty good insight. This isn't saying ignore the teaching or th the things that you've been taught. That's not the wisdom that's in view here. Uh, or the, uh, what word did he use? The understanding that's in view here. Uh, Solomon is probably talking about the source of understanding. Where do we go to understand something? So this brought to my mind 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we might hang out here for just a few minutes, so you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now 1 Corinthians is Paul's letter to a pretty disobedient church, a church that, although saved, is living as if it's not. They are mixing their spiritual things together with their natural and carnal things. So he's teaching them about these two different sources of wisdom, and that's really something that they need in order to function properly is this wisdom that comes from God. So let's see, starting in verse 6 and going to verse 10, could I have someone read that? And so he says then, For to God revealed them through the Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Paul is teaching this church at Corinth that there is a source of wisdom, uh, of godly things, and that's not from man, it's from the Spirit. Man is only able to seek out the wisdom of man, having the mind of man, having the spirit of man, but the Spirit, having the Spirit of God, is able to search out those things of God and teach it to the man. So if you're looking to uh, human wisdom, you're leaning on understanding that is uh, you're able to perform in your own thinking, in your own reasoning and logic. Uh, both Solomon and Paul are teaching that this is uh, not going to lead you into godly wisdom. You need God to explain godly wisdom by the Spirit. And so let's read the next little chunk of verses here. Can someone read verses 11 through 13? So here Paul brings out two different kinds of man. There's the natural man. He uses the, uh, the Greek word there for flesh or fleshly. He's seeking within his own natural abilities to come to an understanding. I think this is what Solomon is teaching us against. We're not using our own fleshly abilities, our own logic and wisdom. We're not using the wisdom that comes from the world, but we're seeking the wisdom of God that can only be taught by God. Uh, and so that is the spiritual man. Vicki read those verses too. We cannot understand because they are spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. We're seeking the Spirit as our source of wisdom rather than our own flesh or our own minds as our source of wisdom. And so Solomon, probably speaking to believers in Israel, it would be believers who read these books of wisdom, he's essentially telling them not to be carnal. They have the Spirit available to them, and they are to seek the Spirit of God um, in order to understand things, and that is written in His Word. So we don't want to uh, look at the world and interpret it through the world's glasses. We want to interpret the world through Scripture, through biblical glasses. So that is verses 5 and 6. The promise is He's going to make your path straight. He's going to make life understandable. It's not going to be a uh, confusing and depressing journey, but it's going to be one where we are able to, uh, to follow him, follow his will, and he's the one who created us and has a purpose and a reason for us. He's going to reveal that 
as we seek his will. Verses 7 to 8, also very well-known verses. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So this is kind of the same idea, right? We don't want to be wise in our own eyes, but rather we want to seek God's wisdom because you'll remember from last week and probably from your decades of faith before last week that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. This is that wisdom when we fear the Lord, have reverence for him, respect him, understand him as something altogether different than we are and a different source of wisdom. James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the same kind of idea. James is a book of wisdom in a similar fashion to Proverbs. When we rest in the Lord, when we fear the Lord, uh, then he is going to exalt us rather than ourselves exalting us. Okay, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now this is a principle that uh, we're all very familiar with in the New Testament church era. Uh, we tithe, and this is that same principle that in Israel, uh, they would give their first fruits, they would give various offerings, and they were promised prosperity in the land of Israel. Um, but the heart condition of giving was supposed to be one of honoring God, not self-seeking. So God will bless this, but uh, the heart condition is, is not one that comes from earthly wisdom. When we assess this command to uh, honor the Lord with our wealth, we don't want to forget the verses that just came before, that we want to seek heavenly wisdom about this giving rather than earthly wisdom. Okay, our next little section is going to be verses 11 through 20, which our quarterly calls the value of wisdom. All right, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. He's putting it in father and son type relationship. Don't loathe his reproof for whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Now, we've all been someone's child. I think most in the room, some in the room, have been someone's parent as well. Discipline doesn't come from, or shouldn't come, from a perspective of uh, anger or violence. It comes from love. You don't correct your child because you're angry at them, or you shouldn't. Um, you reprove or discipline your child because you love them and want them to grow up properly. And this is kind of that same principle where man might fail in these areas to have the proper motivation behind discipline, but God doesn't. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he, uh, or is it the Sermon on the Mount? When he tells uh, those listening that even worldly fathers, even bad fathers know how to give their sons good gifts. Um, how much more is your heavenly father going to give you good and perfect gifts. This is that same principle. Man might fail to discipline from the proper motivation, but God will not. God's discipline is out of love. 
So we can look at Hebrews chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. So the writer of Hebrews is here explaining God's discipline on believers, that it does come from uh, God's love. Uh, he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, or with, or of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's probably something we have all experienced in our lives, some of us more than others, that as we grow up and we recognize why our parents disciplined us for certain things that we thought them unjust for or just wanting to uh, hurt us, we realize that it was for our best. And it's a true blessing to look back on the discipline that has come from God and to see how much he loved us in that. Now, what do we usually think of as the opposite of love? What comes to mind first when you want to think of the opposite of love? Hate. That's the one that normally comes to mind. But both come from passion. So both care a lot about the object, love and hate. The Bible defines the opposite of love as apathy. Apathy is worse than hate, worse than even what might feel like hate, because it really is just, I don't care at all. To not care at all for someone is far worse than to be hated by someone. Now, God does not hate any of us, even unbelievers. God loves even the, the unsaved and wishes for them to be saved. He even died for them while enemies. God is not apathetic towards his people. And so we are thankful for his love. If you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. We are to be thankful for this discipline. It's discipline that comes from love and it shows us that God loves us enough to deal with us. He could just skip town and say enough with this creation. They don't listen. He doesn't. He loves us, so he disciplines us. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. There's a gender switch in the language here. Mm -hmm. What's that about? What does the her refer to? Wisdom. It's wisdom personified. He's starting a metaphor that's going to carry all the way through the book. Wisdom personified as a woman. And 
of course. Why not? It, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Actually, the, the, the interesting thing is it's, it's personified as a woman, um, but it does point to Jesus. Jesus is not a woman. That's not what Proverbs is teaching. But the ultimate um, pinnacle of wisdom here is the Messiah. Uh, so wisdom, not necessarily having uh, female attributes, <laughs> though many females demonstrate more wisdom than men, I think. Um, she is personified here as a beautiful woman, um, one who you would want to embrace as a wife. She is more precious than jewels, nothing you desire compares with her. So we want to seek this wisdom, this heavenly wisdom. It is far more valuable than anything we could ever find on earth, and that includes all earthly goods and also all earthly wisdom. But we could think of Jesus' words, Matthew 6. I'll flip here real quick. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For there your treasure is, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now this, what Jesus is talking about, is primarily earthly goods. He's saying seek spiritual goods, not earthly goods. But we could even look at that in the sense of earthly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. And in this context of Proverbs, that might even be a better application. A good example that just comes to mind is when man seeks their own wisdom in performing scientific research, they come to conclusions that just have to change week after week, year after year. But the Bible always is proved correct. Whenever it intersects with something to do with science, the more we understand about that scientific process, the more we come to find that the Bible had it right from the beginning. And we, seeking to discredit scripture as mankind, uh, tend to find ourselves, even with our own wisdom and thoughts, as if they're being eaten up by moths. They just don't last. They don't stand the test of time. But God's word and God's wisdom stands the test of time. Okay, verses 16 through 18. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Here uh, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. So this is, is a true blessing that this has come down from heaven, from God, that he imparts his wisdom, that he... Uh, endeavors to teach mankind. If we were left to our own devices, we would not have this peace of God's wisdom available to us. Verses 19 and 20, God exercises wisdom as well. It's not something he just imparts to us that we're expected to, uh, to use, but he is the ultimate progenitor of this wisdom. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew, my son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so that so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. 
So that pushes us into the next section here. Warnings of Wisdom, chapter 3, verses 21 through 35. Okay, so here we get uh, kind of two sides of a coin where we might expect God's discipline to have to interact with mankind. We get warnings against what not to do. Uh, my son, let them not vanish from your sight. That is the uh, wise activities of God. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck, and you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. We want to uh, walk in wisdom so that we are walking with the Lord and not stumbling. This is falling out of fellowship with God. In Solomon's day, this would be uh, disobedience to the law, breaking the law, falling out of fellowship with God and with Israel. Do not be, or, uh, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Now, we experience this too. When we sin, especially sinning against someone else, uh, we get anxious. We get worried that sin's going to be found out. Or think of lying as a good example. When you come up with one lie, you've got to come up with another lie to cover it, and another lie, and you've got to remember all those things. And it makes you kind of an anxious, nervous wreck. And you're, you're tripping and stumbling over your own knot of sin. For us, we have a way to come back into fellowship with God. Israel does as well. They're slightly different. It's on the same basis of a sacrifice. But ours, we look backwards to a finished sacrifice. We confess our sins to the Lord. We untie this knot, or we give it to him to untie rather, and just say, I'm done tangling this knot anymore. You have it. And uh, he takes it, and by the blood of Christ, we're forgiven for those sins. Uh, you might turn there. I think it's it's one of the best sections of scripture for a Christian to be familiar with. First John chapter 1. But here in First John chapter 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Now this is John talking to believers about falling out of fellowship and coming back into fellowship. And John is very good at using word pictures and vivid metaphors. And if you place yourself physically into this metaphor, what is likely to happen if you are walking around in the dark? Especially in a uh, room you've filled with your own clutter. What's going to happen? Stumble. You're going to stumble and yep. possibly get hurt. Exactly. Even in an empty room, you're bound to trip over your own feet or slam into a wall. It's uh, God's light is not something we were made to live without. He created us to live in a world of physical light, and he created us to live in a world of spiritual light as well. So verse 8 continues, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's got these two opposite ideas back to back. If we say we have no sin, this is the opposite of confessing our sin. Agreeing with God about our sinfulness, agreeing with the wisdom that he has revealed about our sinfulness. If we confess that, he starts to untangle that knot for us. We are instantly forgiven for that knot. If we say that we have not sinned, we have, uh, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Back to our Proverbs here. In verses 23 to 26, we can have confidence in God's power, not our own power. 23, then you will walk in your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. Our ways are enlightened by God's light, the light of his word, his wisdom. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. When we are walking by means of the Spirit, walking in the light, we can have confidence in God, not in our own walk, but in God upholding our walk. So he continues, verse 27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Now this kind of reminds us of a principle from the law that was uh, amplified in the New Testament. That law principle was do unto others as you would have them do to you. We call it the golden rule. It's in the, uh, it is in the Sermon on the Mount as well, a section of Matthew that is just chock full of wisdom, similar to the Proverbs, the uh, true heart of the law. But it's amplified in the New Testament so that we are to love others as Christ has loved them, even giving up his life for them. So this is an amplification of that commandment. So here we have a lesser instance of that. Um, we don't want to withhold good from those to whom it is due. God has not withheld that from us. He has given it to us even what we don't deserve. And so we don't want to withhold from someone else what they do deserve. This is wisdom for living. And do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. You have it, give it then. Verse 29, do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause. If he has gone or if he has done you, no harm. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, and he is intimate with the upright. Now, it's it can be fun to cause a little bit of chaos, but ultimately that's that's not a spiritual state to be in, is it? This is not walking with the Lord, but this has a malicious intent behind it. We don't want to seek to harm another. We become at this point the, the antagonist. We can look back at our uh, handy book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4 is excellent when dealing with the Proverbs. 
because it is the antithesis to wisdom. Earthly wisdom is the antithesis to heavenly wisdom. It comes from a different source. In fact, James says it comes from the pits of hell. It's not that it originates here on earth. Wisdom comes either from heaven or from hell. But he says, James chapter 4, verse 1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we are to seek the heavenly riches, not the earthly riches. And uh, here he's giving us the practical, uh, the practical side of if you are seeking these earthly riches, eventually you are going to be this antagonist who is going after others in order to get it, this gain-seeking against your neighbor. So he calls them adulteresses. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is no middle ground in this area. You are receiving from the sources of God's rich wisdom or from the wisdom from the pits of hell? Or do you think that the scripture speaks to, speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what might cause you to contend with your neighbor to go after them without provocation. What kind of reasons might be behind that? There we go. Ukraine's land looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were referencing something else. Okay, well, there's coffee out there. But, uh, yeah, Ukraine's land looks nice. Let's go take it. Let's start a war unprovoked. Yeah. Uh, when we look at the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, we see that we're not supposed to envy our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's house, our neighbor's donkey. Going after a neighbor comes from the comes from selfishness, gain seeking for yourself, wanting to have something that has not been given to you by God. All right, our last few verses here. James three thirty three to thirty five. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, and he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So this all stems out of that. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. What is in view here could be anyone disobedient, either a believer or a an unbeliever, evil, unfortunately, can come from both sides. It depends where we are seeking our wisdom from, where we are placing our hope, where we are placing our faith at the moment. That could be a source that creates evil. God would have to discipline the one whom he loves. So just because you are a saved believer doesn't mean this divine discipline won't come on you. In fact, it probably will if you are a disobedient believer. If you are 
not seeking the Lord, but seeking the world and its riches. God might let the unbeliever have success in this world. We often look at them and say they are getting their rewards here on earth. That's actually a sadder state to be in because that almost looks like apathy from God. It's not completely apathetic, but God is working to convict them of one sin, the sin of unbelief. For us, all of our sins come into view for sanctification and righteousness. So we have a heavier burden laid on us uh, once we are believers because now we are in the family of God. I don't know if you guys had playdates when you were younger, but when you and your friend get in trouble, you're the one who gets in trouble. Your parent might discipline the friend a little bit, but you're the one who's in trouble. You're the one who's going to get it once the friend goes home. Now, the, uh, the friend's parent, if they're a good parent, will probably discipline them as well, but that's not your concern. In your household, you are responsible to your parents. So we are responsible to our Father, God, and He is going to discipline us if we are acting improperly in His household. There's another one that comes to mind, Ananias and Sapphira. In the book of Acts, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they were disciplined to the point of physical death. That's a pretty extreme discipline, but it taught the whole church a pretty good lesson, especially right there at the foundation of the church. That's a, a heavy hand of justice, but it, it is beneficial to sanctification. And then, mm -hmm. now you got me going there. <laughs> That's Lord's okay. Lord's Supper, right? Uh-huh. You partake of the bad consciences. This is why your son was sick in your house. Exactly. Exactly. We have responsibilities in the body of Christ. It's not a, uh, you're saved, now go live however you want. It's a, you're saved, you're secure, but there's an expectation of how you will live in the body of Christ. You are now responsible to live appropriately in this household. Like a proselyte who became part of Israel, he is now subject to the law. He is responsible to live in the economy of God that he has established there, and it's a, a fellowship community. In order to have fellowship, we have to be obedient to God. All right, that is all I've got. Chapters 4 and 5, they did a quick fly-through in the uh, last page of your quarterly. I'll leave you to read that because I didn't. <laughs> I barely got through chapter 3. <laughs> all right, well, let's... Pray and close, and then we can uh, chat a bit until we've got three more minutes. But dear Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful book of wisdom. We thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, he sought wisdom from you over all else, and uh, you gave to him generously. We pray for wisdom, the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from your right hand. We pray that we uh, receive her with joy and that we appreciate her for all that she has to offer. We Thank you for the fellowship of the body, and we pray for uh, perseverance as we uh, live together and grow deeper in your word and grow closer in intimacy with you. We thank you for the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sins. We thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.